0: Hey, welcome. I, I want to welcome Daryl. Uh, it's Daryl Revere. Um, he's a Bay Area Code Enforcement Officer uh, and also the California Association of Code Enforcement Officers uh, president right now. Um, and I'm, I'm just very happy to have Daryl on with us today because that is one area that I think that, I, that I've missed uh, in these uh, uh, Facebook Live videos that I really wanted to try to also uh, bring together other code uh, prof- uh, code. Uh, professionals as well to have a discussion because a lot like you and I talked about we have a lot of bleed over um, in different arenas anywhere from building to fire Uh, I know that we work with our code enforcement officers on a very regular basis so Thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Um, I want to welcome everybody. Uh, You know, again, I apologize for the delay. Um, You are here at the International Code Council's Region 1 Facebook page. Region 1 was established in 2014 and we're made up of three states, California, Hawaii, and Nevada, that includes 32 chapters. We're dedicated to the excellence in education and engagement to promote a safer environment by bringing individuals together like Daryl myself today. I'm very excited about that. Uh, The discussion forum was designed to highlight individuals and chapters that make up our region. Uh, Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions for Daryl, please leave them in the comments. I've got a live comment section uh, uh, that people should be able to see. Um, it, or be able to drop a comment in there. We can have some, uh, uh, ask some comments as we're asking additional questions as we go. Uh, if you have anybody that you would like for us to showcase in an upcoming forum, just let us know. Um, I'd be more happy to reach out to them. Uh, I'm getting very good at telemarketing skills. So <laughs> with that, welcome Daryl. Uh, I'm glad that you could be here.
1: Well, thanks Tim. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk with more folks uh, kind of region-wide or Western region-wide about code enforcement and how building inspection and code officials of fire code and and the different types of code officials, how we can work together and how we do bleed over um, and just an opportunity to do some more networking and get some questions answered and uh,
0: have some good conversation. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Well, so what I'd like to start with first is can you provide a little bit of your background and really that area that you serve. It looks like it's nice and sunny where you're at. I I think that you're um, In in a similar region that I am. So can you provide your background and in kind of the highlights of the area that you serve. Sure, Uh, I've been in the code enforcement uh, profession specifically
1: uh, for about 21 years now Uh, my public service public safety career goes back to the early 90s right out of college. Uh, various different uh, jobs, park ranger, uh, animal control, code enforcement, you name it. I, I've kind of done it uh, as far as non-sworn public safety, uh, even did some uh, firefighting in the uh, my, my college years, the wildland firefighters. So my heart goes out to those folks who are out there on the fire lines right now and the victims of those fires. So, uh, but specifically code enforcement for about 21 years. Uh, I was with the city of San Jose before my current uh, assignment in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, the East Bay. San Francisco Bay Area where I am today and yes we're blessed today with some clearer skies we've had some smoke impact from the fires uh, not nearly as bad as some places where I where I live it's horrible right now uh, but uh, we're still better off than those folks who are out there right in the middle of it so we're blessed with the nice uh, clear weather and nice nice temperatures here today so it's a beautiful day today.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It sounds like you've had quite the experience, anywhere from firefighting to park ranger. Uh, any highlights that you can think of? Uh, you know, we all take different pathways throughout our career. Um, can you think of any notable experiences that really have shaped you as a code enforcement officer today?
1: Well, I, you know, it's it's interesting because I started out going into the forestry. That was my my coming out of high school. I wanted to be I wanted to be a park ranger. I wanted to be out world working in the wilderness and Right. interacting with people out there, and the different things that you have, opportunities that you have to to serve the public, as well as just to be out in some of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, but uh, when I was doing that in the '90s, that's a very that was a very tough industry mm-hmm. to get in in into. Very few permanent full-time jobs, and if you wanted to be the guy or to uh, travel all across the country uh, and experience different parts of the country, uh, that was that was perfect. But I uh, fast learned that really wasn't probably what I was looking for. I needed a little more stability in my life. So, um, uh, just by chance, I ended up in animal control and that gave me my first full-time job and taste of full-time employment after college <laughs> and, uh, tied me into code enforcement. Eventually it's kind of a yeah. weird path to get there. You think, how do you go park ranger, dog catcher, um, and now code enforcement officer. Uh, but, uh, you know, all, all the experiences I had in those different, uh, areas, those different, uh, um, uh, careers uh, all kind of bled, all kind of led me to this uh, finding that what my real niche was and uh, whether it's out in the forest or running the streets chasing after the dogs and, and stuff like that um, mm-hmm. it, it, I wouldn't I would say there's probably one in situation or one uh, experience that kind of brought me to where I am uh, they were kind of a combination of everything it just was kind of almost a, a very interesting kind of pathway where I came to a crossroad and took a chance on something new and different and then here I am today. And then, with the California Association of Code Enforcement Officers, too, the same thing. I, I have good friends that are that were involved with the board and the association. And a vacancy came open back in twenty fifteen, and that one of my friends, who now actually is in a small uh, city, she's the manager of a code enforcement small town in the in the state of Texas uh thought I would be perfect for so she oh. uh, submitted my uh my name and the uh the board saw a fit to give a a new guy a, an opportunity and ever since I've been on the board ever since since 2015 and progressed up through there and again kind of another uh strange path I just kind of wanted to be the guy in the background at first and learn the ropes but I was fast pushed into or pulled into um committee chairs and officer mm-hmm. safety chair of the committee there and just getting more and more involved, even though I hadn't really planned on it, but very fast, I should say, right. getting involved. And and here I am now president for the last two years, being honored with that uh, position to lead a fantastic group of board members and a great profession, a, a great membership uh, for the last two years, uh, since uh, 20, excuse me, 2019, even through some of the tough times of COVID. It's been uh, very challenging, but uh, it's also been very gratifying. So it's It's been an interesting path
0: to today. And I've got a couple questions that, you know, kind of that would, you know, transition into. But um, one of the things that you mentioned uh, being a park ranger, I actually had that same dream uh, coming out of school. I kind of felt the same way to be able to be out in the forest, be out in the wilderness and really kind of experience nature and well. I maybe uh, I have a little bit of that on the fireside, but maybe not as much as I'd, I'd kind of hope to. Um, you mentioned COVID, and, and I really think that COVID has kind of shaped a lot of what we do. Um, You know, for us on the fire side and building side, and I would imagine you as well. We do a lot of virtual inspections. Uh, We've tried to do as much uh, hands off or not in person um, to try to uh, facilitate and be able to meet our objectives. So what are some of those items that you've implemented um, in your department or you've seen others throughout the state of California implement to kind of help address the need, especially as we're battling this pandemic?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because there has been there have been a lot of I would say advances or a lot of outside of the box thinking Mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, our types of services, whether it be fire code enforcement building inspection. Uh, Probably the number one thing that I've seen uh, throughout the the state is the reliance on virtual uh, inspections and technology. Uh, drones have been uh, we've seen a lot of different agencies start a drone program and sending their code enforcement officers and building inspectors and like to uh, classes to become an actually licensed I don't know the correct term necessarily but drone operator uh, mm-hmm. to really understand the rules as far as the use of drones in in um, and how and and their capabilities as well we've even seen with some of our contractors where their people are actually using drones to uh help complete their projects instead of sending people up on top of these buildings to check out a problem uh with the construction or while they're building a structure they'll send a drone up so that's probably been one of the biggest advances or differences that we've seen be kind of pushed upon us by mm-hmm. COVID uh kind of a silver lining you're getting your people out of some of the harm's way that they uh, would normally see so you reduce reduced maybe some workplace injury and workplace uh, deaths hopefully right um, Uh, by using that type of technology and then uh fortunately i don't know exactly how the the courts are looking at that from an enforcement standpoint Mm -hmm. i know the courts are very are are very uh sensitive as to far what kind of technology we're using to prove our cases and to submit for evidence and things like that but in the inspection world for sure uh technology has been probably the biggest advancement that i've seen but then we're also seeing we're seeing a lot of uh Advances in, do we really have to be so face to face with folks um, as far as trying to prevent that face to face contact unless it was absolutely necessary? Uh, I know a lot of agencies and a lot of municipalities went to zero face to face contact with their code enforcement departments. Uh, Do everything uh, as much as possible from your vehicle or from a greater distance, even than six feet, even though hopefully everybody gets issued that uh the PPE the personal protection equipment just the basic gloves and masks and eye protection things like right. that mm-hmm. um but yeah so uh, a lot of changes in policies and procedures but mostly it fortunately towards the safety side uh, but also of course having to accomplish our goal and our missions of getting that voluntary compliance that code enforcement officers are always looking for um, those are probably the two major things I've seen the technology and then just the really evaluating whether they have to have face-to-face contact or can we do it over the phone can we use zoom Uh, but kind of like we're losing today Facebook today you know that use of technology too as far as training Mm -hmm. um the last year and a half uh training budgets have been cut uh COVID has said no in-person training because of the restrictions there that's another actually advance we have probably seen in the world of training our officers and our staff is using the technology as well there as well as the on-site inspections and things like that so
0: so um i got two questions off of that um we talk about zero contact uh, you mentioned how does that relate or maybe you utilizing zoom uh or another mechanism to be able to c- uh, communicate with uh the person that you're inspecting so uh, how has that been received um, you know in your within the code enforcement realm uh being able to utilize some of these uh, other methods to be able to convey what needs to be corrected uh and what uh, have you seen work and maybe um what do you see that might be permanent long term is this you know is this zoom or maybe facebook or uh, uh face time going to be a long you know something that we can u- utilize long term
1: yeah you know i think uh some of the changes brought on by COVID are going to be with us probably moving forward from here, uh, um, whether it be a mask, you know, face coverings, things like that, personal protective gear, social distancing, things like that. As far as the use of technology in what we do as code enforcement officers, uh, I can't say with a high, percentage, uh, high degree of accuracy that there's been a lot of uh, resident uh, officer or resident staff member um, interaction i don't really know if uh, departments and agencies have been able to utilize this type of technology like we're using today Uh to talk to homeowners about a potential problem i'm sure there probably are some out there because there are some agencies that are just so technologically advanced and savvy uh, and then there's those that are maybe still uh, a little behind the game (laughs) Uh, but so as far as kind of doing our daily job of of talking to folks out in the community about what needs to be accomplished and explaining and doing education and gaining that voluntary compliance. I, I wish I had a better answer for you on that, but what I can no give you a better answer on is the, the, um, the use of this type of technology for training our officers and training our staff members. You know, it's become kind of a mainstay, and especially with our association with KCO, um, we, uh, we saw the need coming up when we started seeing the first level of restrictions coming in, mm-hmm. and we got together as a group and said, how are we going to continue to get the services to our members that they need such as training, which is a huge component of what we do right. for our membership, uh, we needed to keep that going because there wasn't just because uh, we had this horrible pandemic going, we couldn't stop all of the wheels. Some of the wheels in the in the machine slowed down. Some mm-hmm. of them did grind to a halt, of course, yeah. uh, but we still needed to keep that part of the machine really rolling forward because it was it's absolutely critical that we keep that uh, that that service there. So we started utilizing webinars. Uh, we had been working on that for a while, but COVID really turned up the uh, sense of urgency to get mm-hmm. that out there. So we've started a webinar program for training for our members and we actually opened it up to anybody that wanted to take it, uh, but specifically for our members. Uh, we started uh, getting more of our classes online. We were moving towards online education as a component of our education program as well. But again, COVID really, for lack of a better term, kicked us in the behind yeah. uh, to get that really getting going. Uh, so we brought a lot of our classes online fortunately a lot of the instructors that we regularly uh, work with were completely on board with it they didn't want to go in front of a classroom of people just as much as uh folks didn't want to be in a classroom right uh, in front of a bunch of other people so and then we even had last year we had our annual training seminar fully online and it was a huge success okay uh, silver lining to that was that uh departments that couldn't afford or agencies that couldn't afford to send their people or send all of their people at once because someone still has to do the work mm-hmm. back in the office yep. uh, were able to from the either the privacy of their own home or the comfort of their desks or wherever they were were able to take our classes virtually we had live sessions as well as recorded sessions they were able to get the training that they needed and the units towards their certification so that's really how the use of this type of technology really has benefited our association. And I think the profession as well, because I'm sure agencies are promoting the use of online and web webinar webcam type uh, trainings, and and even their meetings, their staff meetings, probably as well Because we had those two, yeah. working from home, all of our staff meetings were over zoom, or some mm-hmm. zoom type uh, technology. So uh, a huge impact on uh, on the way we do our jobs uh, both with the community as well as internally in in our departments.
0: So do you think those uh, those virtual offerings will continue for the training side of it through um, the Code Enforcement Officers Association. I know uh, for us, uh, you know, I'm part of the uh, California Fire Chiefs Association uh, Fire uh, uh, Fire Prevention Officers Group, and we also had the same where we had the uh, training, our, our annual conference virtually, and I think it was a big success, like you said, and, you know, a lot of the instructors were doing it from the comfort of their own home and being able to still provide that valuable training. I, I do think that there's one piece that gets missed uh, sometimes in virtual trainings is the aspect of networking Um, and so how how do we you know find ways to continue to be able to network and build those uh, uh, professional networks to be able to rely on other people to be able to help assist Uh, and I think like things like this definitely help um, like our conversation today but do you find that you guys will maybe continue with some some form of a virtual offering uh, as part of your association definitely
1: yeah it's been so, so successful it's a cost savings to the association, but the members are still getting the value out of it. Uh, it's cheaper for them as well. Their agencies don't have to pay their people for being in a car or mm-hmm. a vehicle for two hours to go to a training. So you don't have the travel costs or if something that they have to go for overnight. So they're saving a tremendous amount of money. Uh, they're doing it again from the relative safety of, a, of an office versus being on the road and then going someplace else. Right. Uh, I definitely see the, uh, the budgetary, um, Uh, savings and advantages being a catalyst for making sure we do continue and we have every intention of continuing it I I think it's here to stay Uh, not only so we can give the people who are up on the Oregon California border the same opportunity at the same time as the folks that are down on the United States Mexico border in our state and all the way in Lake Tahoe those areas all those remote areas where they couldn't afford either uh, budgetary or just time-wise mm-hmm. to drive Sacramento from say, Susanville, it's a few hour drive or from uh, San Diego to Bakersfield or something like that to get the training they needed. So there's lots of advantages to this and we've seen that and we've absolutely decided this is going to be a part of our training uh, curriculum and method moving f- on forward. And we are going to have this year, our seminar, we're planning on having our seminar in person for the first time in two years okay. uh, at Squaw Creek Resort in Truckee. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, between the fires that are going on, the caliber fire, and then also uh, COVID, we'll still be able to have that in person. Because you hit it right on the head. One thing that it lacks is that uh, that in-person networking, which people need i mean as humans we need that personal interaction this is great interaction between you and i and yeah. and the audience out there but it just doesn't quite substitute for being in person and being yeah. able to shake that hand and say hey, mm-hmm. gee how's it been i haven't seen you in a year and a half and right we're really looking forward to that and you can only do so much of that when it comes to online uh, technology is no matter how hard you try yep uh it just doesn't quite replace that and then and, and that's what our association is big about too networking is a huge way to learn Get new ideas bounce off idea bounce ideas off of other agencies to see how they deal with things and just to be able to see another smiling face in person is, is a great yeah. thing it's really good for the soul so but we are going to continue this as well
0: Yeah and I agree with that. It it is always good to have those side conversations where you can share your experiences uh, and that typically you do that a lot during your networking and those discussions those side conversations that that's always one of those things that I benefit and and really enjoy the most because then you realize that a lot of people are facing the similar uh, challenges that you may be facing in your organization and how did they overcome it or, uh, you know, where where are they at in their um, uh, decision-making process uh, as it moves forward. Uh, you mentioned your conference is in Truckee. Uh, when is that conference scheduled for?
1: It's the first week of October. It's the 4th to the 7th. Okay. Uh, yeah, typically we do it early in the uh, month of October so we can allow those folks who do code enforcement as well as building inspection to, till, to still be able to attend the Calbo uh, uh, education weeks in San Ramon and Ontario. So we like to make sure, because there are so many people that do double duty, hmm. uh, that they, we're not hogging all their, their uh, budget <laughs> time or their, all their training time. So right. they go get that other training. So we try to be conscientious that that's going on for them as well. So first week of October, 4th to the 7th.
0: So we talked about the bleed over and you mentioned Calbo. How does uh, the Code Enforcement Officers Association and Calbo really um, work together? It, it meant, as you mentioned, you, you try to uh, set your conference so that way you guys can, you know, make sure to get some of those professionals that go to that conference. How do you guys work together uh, in that regard?
1: Uh, well, probably the biggest one is just being aware of when they're having their, their training session. Uh, just to make sure we don't, uh, like I say, overlap or get too close to them. This year, it's uh, weekend, uh, the weekend, or excuse me, the week of uh, the 13th of September, I believe, is when it starts. I'm actually going to be moderating a couple classes, so I should know these dates, um, <laughs> but it's coming up, let's just say, real soon. So we wanted to make sure we have some time in between so folks who were able to attend there can also attend ours. Um, that's probably the biggest way that we, we do. Uh, we don't really necessarily have a formal agreement in place with them on how to work this, but we do talk back and forth to uh-huh. make sure that we're not stepping on each other and uh, f- try to find ways where we can make sure our members are getting what they need perhaps from Calbo and vice versa. Um, just like with ICC, we're working on an agreement, kind of a formal par- not a kind of actually a formal partnership with them behind the scenes to establish a a formal uh, relationship with ICC so we can bring in some of ICC's experts in the world of building inspection and fire code and mechanical and all those areas, to be able to give our members even better training than they're already getting from experts in that field, uh, because so many of us do, do double duty, triple, quadruple duties um when it comes to that so uh but that's something that I can see us looking into in the very near future as well with Calbo to make sure we have this synergy between the three major organizations with code enforcement building inspection and then ICC for the the international uh, side of things um to really kind of make sure we have the best of all worlds coming into our membership and also offering our expertise to like agency to organizations like ICC Mm -hmm. as well as the Calbo for those building inspectors that may not have a lot of code enforcement experience because it really is a difference there between using building code inspection versus uh, responding to a violation like a property nuisance violation so there's kind of two different worlds we're still enforcing codes but ICC of course being the model codes and then you've got uh, your individual agencies doing usually using their municipal code the California Health and Safety Code and various state codes, as well as some of the model codes as well. So to kind of create that mutual, benef- mutually beneficial relationship between all three organizations is really a, a goal that we should all be pushing for um, to make sure we're helping each other out and promoting each other to get the best trained people out there for, for the public
0: yeah and I think that you know you hit on it yeah one of my questions was how do you engage in ice with ICC and and you definitely hit on it being able to engage with them uh, bring them in for your training um, you know they have preferred provider um, CEUs that you can obtain uh, but also to having uh, instructors that you can lean on a cadre of instructors that you can lean on that may be able to educate in in some of those property maintenance issues and I I think you and I you know on the fire side definitely maybe understand that aspect of the and, and even I think building departments also re- understand it, but maybe to a different degree of uh, the difference between new construction and property maintenance and, and that pathway to be able to uh, achieve voluntary compliance uh, on those uh, routine maintenance items that we typically you and I engage with on a quite, quite a frequent basis uh, and how that goes. And I think to have that training is always a good, a good thing to kind of at least uh, provide that training in that background. Um, in addition, oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead.
1: Yeah, you touched, you touched on an important point. If, if I apologize for everybody. if I don't say, I'll, I'll probably forget it. <laughs> um, you mentioned CEUs, and that's part of those those formal agreements. Right now, uh, KCO members, when they take an ICC uh, uh, or a Calbo class, for that matter, um, they are eligible to gain. CEUs towards our certification as code enforcement officers. And I believe it's vice versa with uh, with uh, ICC right now. I'm not sure if it goes as well as with CalBO, but uh, again, something to, to look at when we start to look into that more formal agreement with them. But yeah, so I mean, that's that important connection there as well. Making sure if you take the time to go uh, to an ICC mechanical code class or international property maintenance code class that Mm -hmm. you can then get more benefit other than just saying, yeah, okay, I have uh, X number of units with ICC, but it also comes back to benefit them as code enforcement officer with our association. So another important reason why we need to be working together to be able to make sure people are getting as much of the best training possible.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I know that we just kind of talked about, um, you know, how we try to build that coalition, you working with building officials and even the fireside. How, you know, as a code enforcement officer, I really think code enforcement is the sum of many parts. How do you build those relationships with other code professionals that are administering codes to maybe provide the most benefit to the community? Uh,
1: well, I think uh what we're doing right now is a perfect example of how we engage with other code officials so we can talk about issues i even see someone has has uh, put in a question in the chat um you know to be able to give folks who we wouldn't normally uh, interact with a Uh chance to ask these questions so we're doing one of those things right now we're really working with other code officials uh via this uh, platform Mm -hmm. uh you know we we have uh we encourage our members to definitely go to other trainings and other, uh, 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 events, uh, where they are going to get a more rounded, uh, view of what we really do. I mean, cause we do as, as a fire official, you don't do just fire. You, you're right. going to bleed over, as we keep saying into yep. other areas of expertise and same thing with us. So making sure that we, uh, if we don't have a specific training class, uh in uh, a certain aspect of the fire code say i don't know same thing like fire sprinklers and the requirement for fire sprinklers in residential and commercial uh if we have an opportunity to help promote something like that that our members may get a benefit of that's another way we do we promote those on our websites and make sure we get that message out to uh to our members so they have an opportunity to go to someplace else to have the uh, training that we may not necessarily have or we'll try to bring somebody in to mm-hmm. do a formal class for us so that's those are, I think those are the kinds of things the kind of the outreach we're also always looking for uh, uh area um, experts in their specific areas to be able to bring into our education program and if that's not always possible for whatever reason we want to make sure that our people have access that they can go to them as well so just making sure that they have a a um, a uh, opportunity to get the training that they need, whether we're providing it or somebody else, making sure that they're aware of it. That's what I'm trying to say. To make sure that they're aware that those opportunities are out there uh, that uh, that they can benefit from.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you guys do a very good job of providing that pathway. And we, you know, you and I both know that we don't work in silos and being able to. Cross uh, cross paths. I, I know that I cross paths with my uh, code enforcement officer, supervisor, and and, and the officers here, uh, building department, uh, quite a bit. And so it's always good to, as we cross those cross those paths to be able to have this information and be able to share that pathway of where you can get the training, but also to where you can go and you can uh, speak with other professionals. Now uh, we. One of the things we kind of talked about early in the conversation was COVID and how that's really changed and impacted the day-to-day of what we do throughout, um, you know, really code enforcement and uh, administering codes themselves. What other changes or what other kind of situations have you seen that have arisen that have... Really had a major impact uh, on the professional of code enforcement in your career, and and what do you maybe see in the future as as we continue to move forward? As you mentioned, drones and being able to use drones, I think is one of those things that I I think would be uh, extremely beneficial. But and technology, um, but what else do you see that might be beneficial to be able to benefit code enforcement officers or just code enforcement professionals in general?
1: Well, I think raising the awareness of what we really do is probably one of the key things that we can do to continue to kind of advance, um, not only as individuals but also as a profession. Uh, a lot of folks will say, oh, "I'll introduce myself as a as a code enforcement officer," as I'm standing at somebody's front door or at their business, and they they kind of have this puzzled look on their face, like "Code what?" Yeah. Um, so you know, when somebody walks up, uh, they uh, they as a police officer or firefighter uh, mm-hmm. um, in the fire service pretty obvious when you walk up to somebody's front door who you are and maybe <laughs> what you right. do yep. um, you know uh code enforcement part of it is uh being non-sworn officers for the most part uh I would say the vast majority of code enforcement officers are not sworn peace officers uh there aren't as many um uniformities meaning uh uh code enforcement officers like today I, I I'm wearing a polo shirt and and slacks Ah, uh, tomorrow might be wearing kind of a BDU and a and a more like a button down, more of an official-looking paramilitary, para law enforcement type uh, uniform, uh, or we might just be blue jeans and a and a and a nice polo shirt and that has our city logo on it or something like that. So uh, it's not always so obvious. So we have sometimes we have the added uh, duty of making sure people know who we are. So a, they're comfortable with us. They don't think, well, who is this person that says this is who they are? And I've never heard of code enforcement. And <laughs> right. I into that we're called 20 different things. You have neighborhood preservation, yep. you have code compliance, you have uh, neighborhood improvement technicians. I mean, I could probably uh, give 20 different, um, you know, uh, names yeah. uh, of what we are. So um, raising the awareness of who we are, what we do, what we can provide the community, as far as always trying to gain that voluntary compliance and making sure that we work with a, as partners in the community, not against the community. Right. I think a lot of times when people aren't sure who they're talking to, that they uh, tend to be maybe a little uh, apprehensive. And so it takes a little bit more to gain their trust to get through, but that's our duty as code enforcement officers and just as public officials mm-hmm. to be able to establish that rapport. So, and part of it is making sure people know who we are, but we also need to do on a more uh, agency base or a municipality base is to also promote ourselves, as a city or a county or whatever we might be so it's all it's incumbent upon the individual but also as the agency to make sure they're doing the right outreach to make people aware that when somebody comes to your front door and they call themselves a neighborhood preservation officer uh, that's they're not a police officer they're 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 so public official uh, but they're there still to do a job and perhaps enforce a, a local municipal code or a health and safety code but we're there as a community partner Mm -hmm. and not to be adversarial and that's not to say that sometimes we get involved in situations where it is a little more adversarial and people no matter how nice and no matter how well you introduce yourself or what they know about you they're just going to automatically be apprehensive or maybe not necessarily agree with why you're there uh so we have to keep that into account too which also rolls into the next thing that we i think we need to do is we need to make sure we keep training our people uh that we keep getting them the best and possibly updated training Use the different resources that are out there from ICC, uh, Calbo. I mean, any organization out there. There's the there's a new organization called the Code Enforcement Officer Safety Foundation. That's a brand new foundation that they're focusing on officer safety. So utilize their uh, their resources, and uh, to kind of bring it all back into the training thing. And and one other way that we can do this too is KCO is specifically working very hard on gaining more officer safety training legislation at the state level, mm-hmm. making some mandated requirements for actual specific safety training, which is a big part of what we do. And there's no minimum safety training standard for code enforcement officers in the state right now. So we're actively pushing our uh, Senate Bill 296 in the state legislature right now to uh, require that the local municipalities create a program that establishes a, a minimum training standard specific to code enforcement officers okay. that meets the specific uh, requirements or needs of their community so uh, that they can have some uh, some basic standard, basically, and, and the beauty of the bill really is That uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all bill. Mm -hmm. What it is is, if a city of 5,000 people doesn't have to spend the same amount of money and do the same kind of things as a city that has 5 million people. So it's built that way so it can fit into the community's needs for their specific municipalities, as well as they can uh, they don't they can use their existing training funds, so they're not having to go out and find some new. Uh, training, uh, revenue source. Right. Uh, so if you, if you can do it spending $10,000, that's great. If you need to spend a hundred thousand dollars, that's fine. But the idea is to make it so they have full control over what the training program looks like and the costs of it as well. So, and we have other officer safety, uh, uh, legislation that we're promoting in the state legislature too, but training make raising awareness about the profession and what we're really there to do and making sure we establish ourselves as a community partner uh, and really out there for their best interest and in the public safety is really what we're all about. Uh, not trying to become police officers, not mm-hmm. trying to get peace officer status, uh, that kind of stuff. There, there are some uh, thoughts out there that that's what KCO is about right now. Trying, That's where we're going with this legislation. That's not where we're going with this. We just want some minimums training safety standards for code officers and some other safety standards in place that help us do our jobs better or excuse me, help us do our jobs more safely, which in turn translates into us doing our jobs better.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I I would 100% agree. I think that we do run into those challenges as we administer code. Sometimes we run into dangerous situations and how do we mitigate those dangerous situations. Uh, You mentioned that it was a Senate bill or SB 296 are there any minimum uh, training requirements as part of that bill or maybe part of additional legislation um in regards to um uh, maybe uh I, I i don't want to say defensive tactics but at least to be able to maintain a level of safety for for code enforcement officers are there any minimum requirements that you're hoping to to achieve in this legislation
1: not currently in this bill or in this legislation that may be something that comes down the road uh what we want to do is we want to establish a a foundation if you if you want to put it in building terms we want to make a foundation that we can build upon from there and we feel that this senate bill of of allowing the local municipalities to create their own programs that are specific to their needs uh is the is the way to go with the foundation and then because when you start talking about defensive tactics and different types of protective equipment and i'm not talking about uh, masks and, and eye and ear protection, things like that. I'm talking yeah. about impact weapons and, and, uh, you know, uh, firearms, even, I guess, um, but, uh, different types of that type of protective equipment, we are leaving that up to the local municipalities. Cause there's so many different intricacies when you start talking mm-hmm. about use and policy and training, uh, that that's really not our area of expertise. Uh, and that's why we wrote SB 296 the way we did. We wanted to make sure that the local municipalities had control over that, but we also wanted to establish that foundation. That okay. okay, we give you that you have to give uh, that they create a program. Let's just say a city, a Pleasantville, a USA yeah. says, uh, we need to do 20 28 hours of officer safety training a year based on mm-hmm. what we know about our community. So they do that 28 hours and anything that they want to do beyond that wonderful but have that minimum uh is is what we're really looking for and let them let the individual municipalities decide on how much further they want to go with that and what extra tools they're going to give their code enforcement officers so um and and we felt we needed to write it that way to really kind of let them real uh, have them realize that uh, we're just trying to again build that foundation and not throw a bunch of mandates on them because when you start throwing mandates around people start to backpedal really fast understandably so because there's so many different aspects of that um but uh just to have the minimum training is probably the most important thing so we don't have anything right now that uh has specifics as far as defensive tactics officer uh um weaponry or excuse me weaponry um, protective equipment or anything like that okay um, at this point
0: so, um, as we talk about training and the maybe the background, as we talk about uh, safety-related uh, uh, training for code enforcement officers, does the association provide? Uh, uh, like an academy, uh, so to speak. So if somebody's looking to get into the field of code enforcement, that they can maybe attend classes through your association uh, in regards to how to identify a violation to um, the, the, the proper procedure to be able to, you know, send the notice in order. And then if there's uh, some type of citation, is there an academy that they can attend uh, through the association that can get them in that uh, uh, to be able to, because as you and I know, um, a lot of uh, uh, and, and I'm getting a little bit older and so that's why I say this is uh, sometimes. Uh, Me too. Me yeah. too. <laughs> we, I, I always want to try to bring up the next generation of uh, code code enforcement or uh, code professionals but we are kind of aging a bit. And so um, do you provide that training where somebody that maybe comes out of high school or out of college can then seek that training and maybe get into the the field of code enforcement.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely we do. We have, uh, we have our certification, which is recognized by the state of California as Certified Code Enforcement Officer, and KCO is the uh, sole provider of that certification. As part of that, in, in 20, to kind of go back, in 2017, uh, the state legislature enacted the Code Enforcement Officer Safety Act, which uh, established the certification program to become what we call a Certified Code Enforcement Officer. So it's not required you don't have to have that certification to be a code enforcement officer in the state. It's just an additional level of training that you can add to your profile. So when you're in a, maybe a courtroom a situation which we oftentimes find ourselves in, uh-huh. uh, when somebody may ask what your qualifications as or, or uh, what your qualifications are, you can uh, cite your, your resume and that you're also a certified code enforcement officer in the state of California. Uh, In order to achieve that certification there's uh, three module academy that we put on module one, two and three they're all 40 hours and they're taken uh, they can be taken out of order they're really designed to be taken in order and they're designed for the entry level uh, code enforcement officer or the code enforcement officer that has been around for 10 years. 15 years or even more uh, before the certification even existed right and they can get an all-around training so your brand new folks can start from day one and learn about uh proper inspection protocols they can learn about search and seizure fourth amendment uh issues they can learn about fire code mechanical code all kinds of there's i think it's something like 27 different classes that they take in the three uh modules and um Everything from just basic stuff to more advanced. So the, as you progress through the modules, the more uh, uh, the more uh, complex the issues become. Module three, for example, is where we teach them all about uh, as much as we can about the fire code, mm-hmm. mechanical, some of the very specific things that they need to be aware of. Not to make them fire inspectors or mechanical inspectors or plumber uh, plumbing inspectors, but to be able to let them identify problems so they actually say, "Okay, I know that's not quite right. I don't know necessarily how to fix it." To identify and then get the right people to show them Mm -hmm. how to do it So we do have that that's open to anybody that wants to get into the profession you don't have to be employed as a code enforcement officer to take those courses we have a significant number of people that are doing career changes or they are young and they're trying to find their way in the world and they say hey a friend of mine's father is a code enforcement officer and it sounds really interesting what he does it's fulfilling and he has a great time doing it uh, I, I might want to look into that. So they could, it can be someone fresh out of college or high school uh, that right. takes those courses. So we have that. But then we also have, of course, our continuing education program, which generally is set up to be for our existing members as well as existing code enforcement officers for their continuing professional growth. Uh, so we do have a couple of different outlets. The acad- we do call it an academy, but it's more formally our certification modules. Uh, but it is it is a great way to break in As well as for those more seasoned veterans to be able to go back and uh, get their certification Uh, we've even had people just go through the classes because they felt it was going to be advantageous to them even though they've been Mm. in the situation that they've been in the profession for a few years and we have one other way too. we actually to gain that certification we have what we call the substitute service exam for folks who have been in the profession for maybe 15 years uh, that uh, don't want to have to go through classroom setting for 120 hours again Uh, Because they have a, if you have a minimum of five years code enforcement related experience, and you're actually employed as a code enforcement officer, you can take the substitute service exam, which is kind of a culmination of all three of our modules put together. Uh, But it's also information that if you've been on the job for at least five years, you should probably already know. And then you take the test, and then you're able to, uh, if you pass it, uh, you're able to now use that title of certified code enforcement officer. And that gets renewed every three years, uh, they need 48 CUs, I think it is to renew okay. that certification, um, they can gain that through a variety of different ways. If, if it counts as a KCO uh, continuing education unit, whether you got it from CalBO or ICC, uh, it can count towards your certification, generally speaking. So lots Wonderful. of avenues to that were.
0: Yeah, and that's fantastic. I I can't speak highly enough uh, in regards to the modules. I actually, one of my inspectors is, is, she's taken two of the modules. I think she's missing module two, so she's done one and three, and she um, uh, finds it very interesting and very beneficial, even on a fire code uh, enforcement standpoint. She, she, you know, she's been taking the classes. I will say that they're very difficult to get into. There is a high demand um, for folks to, to take those classes. And, and so yeah. I you guys are working on that. And, and there's definitely a waiting list. So That means that things, you know, people are very interested in code enforcement, which is outstanding Um, and hopefully we continue with that. But yeah, we've had, we've had our fair share of trying to get into those classes over the, I think I want to say the last 18 months we've gotten into two. We need one more. So
1: yeah, well, we, yeah, we definitely, we, we used to do these classes, of course, uh, in person Uh We would limit that we could uh, limit them. We limited them to 50 people. Uh, If you've ever taught a course and I teach for Casey, I teach the officer safety courses. Uh, for KCO, uh, 50 people in a classroom is sometimes like kind of herding cats, you are not know, kind of keep your eyes, not only are you trying to keep them on, on, on point, but you're kind of trying to keep their, 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 uh, keep them engaged. Right. Uh, but we've gone to a, a completely online platform for that, uh, because of COVID again, here we yep. go with COVID. Thank you very much. COVID-19. Yeah. Um, it's been a benefit. I mean, there are silver linings to that as well. Now we're able to open it to more people. We have, actually, I think we've upped the maximum to 75 people. Mm-hmm. But even with 75, we have a waiting list and, and yep. we have a upcoming module three. We just did a module three course, I believe it was last month. And then we yep. have one coming up in September. And we have a couple of more, I think one and possibly a two uh, scheduled before the end of the year. But we're going to be uh, scheduling as many of those as possible. We're hoping to be able to do some online and some also in person. Once the restrictions and people were comfortable with coming mm-hmm. back to the classroom, because those are, are so much more beneficial when you can be face to face with somebody because you can only teach so much over a webcam. Yeah, uh, you know, you don't have that interaction, but, um, uh, Very popular. Uh, We appreciate everybody's support on those two and their understanding when they can't get in uh, so easily. We're trying to do everything we can to accommodate as many people as possible. But even on the online platform, we have we have our limitations, I guess you could say. I think Zoom um, has a limit, but we're also working on a new uh, technology platform that will allow us greater access. Uh, We're working with a company right now to develop it. So we've been getting by with Zoom, which has been great. Uh, thank you, Zoom, uh, but it's, uh, but it has its limitations. Uh, so we've decided to partner and uh, hire a an actual, uh, 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 let's we'll say a platform provider that does online training, and that's their bailiwick, that's where their area of expertise is. And they're able to offer us uh, uh, an enhanced um, uh, experience as well mm-hmm. as more capacity, I believe, and they're professionals at it, so we're not flying by the seat of our pants on a Zoom right. No support whatsoever. We'll have people that were there. Like we had technology issues. We'll have somebody that can yep. help us figure those out. It really kind of knows what they're doing. So yep. um, we're excited about that too. This is another thing that's coming up for our members, hopefully for 2022. Uh, right now we're just building that platform. So lots of good stuff coming up for our people and our members and anyone who's interested in getting into the, uh, into the profession um, coming up for the next couple of years and uh, exciting stuff coming. So yeah, it sounds excited. like
0: it. Yeah, I, I mean, I you, you guys are, I don't want to say inventing a new platform, but designing a platform for the actual presentation of the training that you guys offer, I think that that's going to be uh, – an outstanding uh, thing to have, an outstanding resource that many uh, should be able to take advantage of. And, and for me, uh, you know, I, I definitely like these online platforms because as you mentioned, being able to pull yourself away sometimes, it's easy to kind of invest my time uh, on the computer, but then to get in my car, travel a couple hours to a training, and then travel a couple hours back, I have found myself engaging more in these virtual platforms Good, bad, or indifferent. I do think that, they, like as you mentioned, being able to shake somebody's hand and be able to have that face-to-face interaction is very valuable. And I, I, I look forward to doing those again someday. Uh, but I will say that these virtual platforms have been outstanding. Well, I know that we're getting long on time, but I, I do have one additional question. And you kind of hit on it earlier. And one of the things I wanted to talk about um, is proactive uh, code enforcement efforts and how you really try to get the message out to the communities. Uh, And those that may not be familiar with code enforcement and what code enforcement and as you mentioned neighborhood preservation officers or um, The various other names like for us. We utilize the term we we've kind of gone away from fire prevention and now it's community risk reduction And so that's really the buzzword in the fire prevention realm. And so how do you um, And and how does KCO uh, engage in those proactive efforts to be able to um you know further the mission of the organization
1: well social media is probably one of the biggest ones we use we have Instagram we have I don't know if we have a Twitter account I'm not much of a Twitter person uh, but I know we have Facebook uh, Instagram uh, so we use uh, social media as a big way to kind of get our, our word out there um, as a private nonprofit group we're kind of limited we don't have the same resources to say like a city uh-huh. Uh, we have our own Facebook page, of course, and things like that. Uh, but uh, getting your word out and having people share that kind of stuff to be able to, to kind of spread the awareness is kind of more, is more difficult for a, a, small, a relatively small organization like ours, even though I, uh, we're, we're one of the largest, if not the largest code enforcement association, a state association in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still have some limitations there, but we really rely on social media. We uh, make ourselves available to speak to community groups. I speak to a lot of community groups, not only as a representative of my city, but also as Kcio. If someone was to say, like like we, like we, you were doing today, if I got a phone call saying, hey, we do a webcast or we're doing an in-person uh, uh, situation, I'm not a, uh, against going to speak to a community group uh, in person. If they want to be there, I'm willing to be there mm-hmm. uh, with the proper precautions taken, of course. Um, but social media is probably the number one. But then we also rely on our members to be uh, talking to people out there talking to other code officials like yourself when they come across them in their um their daily dealings uh, when they're out there doing their cases uh, are dealing with the different issues i gotta stop my phone from ringing here sorry folks (laughs) no worries it was it was bugging me there It was getting me uh, a little uh distracted um so uh yeah so probably social media is probably the most uh the one we use the most With that extra networking making ourselves available for anybody who wants us to come and talk to local code enforcement groups is another big one in alameda county we have one that uh, actually takes care of alameda county and now santa clara county we've we've kind of converged uh to be what we used to be called the alameda county code enforcement network now we're the bay area code enforcement network and there's other groups like sancio in southern california this i believe it's san diego uh uh, oh, boy, they're going to kill me for not knowing their for that. I'm sorry, guys. Um, but Sancio down in, the, uh, in Southern California, uh, there's a lot of different groups. We are always willing to go to talk to them as well. Uh, we have regional representatives all throughout the state, and that's part of their, uh, part of their mission, or mm-hmm. their duty is when a group wants somebody from caseo to come and talk, they're the ones that they go to. So we have kind of people throughout the state uh, geographically, Located to be able to go to those types of groups as well. So,
0: okay. Yeah, no, I, I always look to see how we can, you know, as, as you mentioned uh, Speaking to community groups and so that way people understand um, What really our intent is and our mission is as we move forward to be able to take those proactive efforts So that way it leads to more voluntary compliance as we move forward throughout the community. So, um, Before we end, I should probably go through the comments. It looks like we've got quite a few comments. I'll be honest. This is the most comments that I have seen in my Facebook uh, posting. So we've got quite a few, and I I appreciate everybody that's sung with us. Uh, throughout this uh, this, uh, this this process, and it looks like you know one of the questions was the CEU training and making sure they get the the ICC uh, CEUs. I think that that was one of them, um, and then also the maybe fees associated with that. And I'm sure that you're probably still working through that. Uh, and what's the best method to be able to get that? Um, uh i am sure that that's probably coming in the future uh i don't know if you have anything more you want to add uh, in regards to the fees but uh, i would say as you guys are continuing to work on that i, I would understand that there's probably more coming
1: yeah that, that's a good question it's an excellent question that uh, uh pete has asked um uh I, I can't say for sure because we haven't worked out all the uh, specifics of the agreement between icc and kco i would assume there's going to be some Uh, Consideration to that. I just don't know what that's going to be at this point because we're still kind of in the middle stages of it. Uh, But it's an excellent question and uh, something that we will consider, especially since it was brought up today. I'll make sure that we consider it uh, in our as we put together our plan talk with ICC. But uh, and that's important, too, to make sure not only is the training available, but it's affordable as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of agencies are really clamping down and really having to tighten up those budget belts. Mm-hmm. And we realize that. So if we can help with that, if we can find a mutually beneficial uh, uh, relationship that's basically equitable for the member as well as KCO, then then we'll do that. Uh, excuse me. The, um, for I like ICC, and KCO and the members, all three of us, uh, of course, we'll do that. We'll, we'll definitely give it consideration and, and see what we can do about that.
0: Fantastic. Now, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, how can people get involved? How can people join KCO? Where can they find you? Um, and, uh, it, and, you know, where can they find your social media accounts? As you mentioned, I have a Facebook, Instagram, and those types of things. Where can they find all that and uh, be able to at least maybe join the organization?
1: Sure. Well, we have a website. It's probably the best way to get in contact with us. It's a horribly long uh, link, C-A-C-E-O dot U-S, so KCO.us. dot U-S. It's very easy <laughs> to, uh, uh, to, to use. Um, there are links to our Twitter accounts, our Facebook accounts, all on that website, so I'd probably direct everybody to there versus giving out all kinds of links for right. our Facebook page and Instagram, probably the easiest. Um, they can, all, of course, call us and get more information, but the website is probably the best, uh, is probably the best way. Uh, you can always get in touch with me, uh, my email address is very, again, very long and complicated. It's just drevere at kco.us. Um, So basically my first initial and my last name at kco.us, I'm always happy to talk to anybody who might have questions, whether it's somebody who's looking to get into the profession or wants to know just more about our organization. Uh, come to one of our, check out our website and come to one of our trainings or, or uh, send us a message through the website. Uh, that's always a good way to get in touch with us as well. Um, we're promoting so many different things right now we have lots of education that we're still going through we're powering through the rest of the of the year here we have our seminar in october don't forget about that uh, we have uh, more academies coming up um, i'll see what we can do about getting your getting your folks in there Tim. Um, i appreciate that what we can do. um but there's so many different things in our 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 push to get the officer safety training standards bill in in mm-hmm. sacramento that's probably one of the biggest things i want to just kind of leave with with folks if you want to get involved in that contact us we have uh letters that you can that we can send to you that you can then send to your elected representatives uh that's probably the best way to get involved right now with us and then that can lead to other things for you for folks trying to get involved mm-hmm. in the profession as well as the organization that's where we could really use everybody's help because we're so big on officer safety It's one of my very uh, most passionate uh, uh, missions as a member of KCO is to make sure we're doing everything we can to keep our members safe and non-members to just code enforcement officers whether it's in California if I can help somebody in Indiana or Georgia I'm gonna do that because that's what I care about but of course we have to we're we're, we're also there for our members first uh, but if you want to get involved if you feel it you you want to be involved please contact us through our website We will get you the information you need on how to contact your local lawmakers. Uh, Right now is a critical time. The legislature is out, but they're coming back into session. We're meeting actually uh, tomorrow with uh, representatives from the governor's office to try to finalize, get our bill pushed forward onto the desk of the governor for that signature that we really, really want and really need to be able to do our job safer and then also do it better and just serve our communities even better. So um, there's no shortage of how to get a hold of us. Um, but, uh, and, and for those code officers that might be watching, I just want to say thanks for your support, uh, for, uh, for KCO and your continued support. Don't forget uh, to uh, send us a line, uh, as far as training and the seminar, um, stay safe, watch your backs, take care of each other out there. It's getting more dangerous on the daily. It seems for code enforcement officers, as well as other code officials. It's more about what we represent versus being personal. So whether you wear a fire, uh what was the what was the title tim uh community, community risk, risk reduction whether you're a community risk reduction uh right. officer or yep. uh or, or or you're a code enforcement officer uh remember people are more upset about what we represent versus us personally and uh that's the dangers rising so make sure you you take care of each other and you take care of yourselves and thanks tim for the opportunity to be here yeah uh, this sure. is a great opportunity i'd love to do it maybe another time if you have the need or or uh, other co uh, colleagues that would like to to have us have me on I'd be happy to do so but with that I'll just say thanks and hi to everybody watching some of the names I recognize uh, good questions and uh, yeah. if there's anything else you got me for a few more minutes so I'll
0: just <laughs> well, leave I, it there. I will uh, I will uh, put the uh, the website address in the comments uh, for the video uh this will be posted on youtube so people should be able to see it there uh and uh yeah there should be some notes there and, and places for people that can look up uh you know kco and how they can get involved so with that we
1: have a YouTube channel too i forgot to mention you said that we have a youtube uh, channel too where there's some good videos okay as good. Well. so yeah so that's another one that we
0: use too so Fantastic, well, and I'll try to link to that if I can figure out how to do it. As you mentioned, um, you know, having good IT people and IT people to be able to take care of technology issues I'm kind of my own IT person when it comes to this, so I'll do the best. <laughs> I'll try to find a way that I can at least reference your YouTube channel somehow in in that in that posting. But
1: just, just look up KCO. I think uh, it, it, uh, there are there's another KCO Colorado Association of Code Enforcement Officers. Yep. Make sure you look for California Association of Code Enforcement Officers. So uh, uh, we can't trademark it. We can't trademark a uh, an acronym. So. We, we, uh, we happily share that with our, with our colleagues in the state of Colorado. So
0: fantastic. Yeah, well, so. with that, Daryl, I really do appreciate your time. I think that this is one of those areas that has been missed in, in, in some of these videos. We've done five. I think this is the sixth one. I think that this is a good way to kind of add to the library so people can watch these and really get a good understanding anywhere from building uh, fire code and now uh, code enforcement or neighborhood preservation. I think that these are definitely areas that people can um, you know gain some more information and be able to have a good library to kind of base it off of so I really do appreciate your time
1: right well uh, thank you you're very welcome and I appreciate the opportunity and anybody that has any questions maybe we didn't answer your questions send me an email I'll be happy to uh, answer those questions one-on-one and just be safe everybody and and, uh, have a good day
0: all right thanks Daryl have a great day and I really do appreciate your time take care all right bye